Namotasa Pakawato or Hato Sama Samputasa Namotasa Pakawato or Hato Sama Samputasa Namotasa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputasa Putang Dhammang Sankang Namasam New Year's Eve The conventions of time, as I was saying this morning, are things that we agree upon. So the year 2016 or 2559, or whatever calendar you like to use. And these are the conventional realm. They're not absolute truths. Um, but they're good, they're good markers, I think, to have a marker in your life where you reflect on where you've been, where you're going. That's, that's quite useful to pause, to kind of take stock, and to consider where you want to be next year. That's quite a good consideration. I've just uh, returned from Thailand and India, as most of you know, and I unfortunately picked up a cold, but the fever broke this afternoon. So I think I'm there. And then it'll come again. The thing about sickness, it comes and it goes and it comes again. I was thinking about the, 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 the language we use around sickness, that I'm battling a cold. And it's not a Buddhist way to look at it. Because <laughs> there's the I am, and there's the attitude of battling. So somehow there's this sickness, uh, fever and uh, all manner of liquids in the brain, in the sinuses, and there's some other entity there, me, this little bit me, that is now having some kind of a battle with the elements of nature. But is that true? Really, if you really look at it, can you can you find an extra bit other than the cold, other than the pressure in the head? other than the um, feeling of fatigue, other than the feeling of take me out back and shoot me. <laughs> I see my personality arising. I can see my personality gets kind of silly. So I keep saying to, to the monks, take me out back and shoot me. But that's another, <coughs> that's just another condition that arises, doesn't it? So is there an extra bit, this chunk that I can find that is that is a me doing a battle with a thing. And I would suggest that, that that's simply a perception. The perception is, isn't like a, a thing, it's, it's a movement. It's, a, it's an interpretation that comes to life because of causes and conditions. And this, this sense, of, and then the, the whole sense of battling. I'm battling cancer. She fought a great fight with cancer. Is also a sort of attitude we have of a aversion to sickness, and certainly no one likes sickness. None of us like sickness. And when I when I I had a really good rest this afternoon, and then I woke up and the fever had lifted. I think, oh wow, finally. So it's a great feeling. 
but to to rely on on pleasure as my spiritual reference point to rely or to battle that which is unpleasurable uh, in some kind of egotistical way seems to me a you know, really wrong way to go about it. So the one of the things we as as monastics are at least I am, I'm often contemplating, so what is it in this experience that's not changing? And and that I've been doing that for so many years, it's just an automatic attitude to the changing nature of my mind-body experience. So what is it in this moment that, like, what was different this morning to now, and what was not different this morning and now? Where is that? So I said, from this morning to now, my body feels more pleasant, has a more pleasant a, a, a ramana. Still not hundred percent, but it's more pleasant. And but then, what is it that? What was there in the morning, and what was there now? And that I think that kind of contemplation has been very very useful for me because it it brings me to a uh, an attitude of of not getting all so caught up with the pleasures and pains of life. And then actually I can deal with the pleasures and pains of life much more uh, skillfully, humorously, or with more endurance. Because there's a reference point now of the unchanging nature of awareness, or the ongoing nature of consciousness, or a stillness of being, whatever language one prefers around that. But there, there, there is something constant in our experience, and there's something which is inconstant. No? And I find that there's something constant right now. I can, I can see my hand moving, I can hear my voice saying things, I feel the temperature, the light changes a bit. But then all the time there is presence. All the time there is... There is is being, or, and these words are difficult because people take them doctrinally as, as kind of positions or consciousnesses, or sankara. It's changing. It's sakanda. But you actually know, said, "What is it that that in any given moment there is a knowing, isn't there? And you can't you can't really you can't identify that knowing as being a quality. That's its mystery." You can't objectify it. You can't objectify knowing, and yet you know that you know. And yet you know this moment is the way it is. And this knowing isn't intellectual. This knowing isn't uh, an idea or a, or a conclusion or a dogma or a. It's not even Buddhist, is it? Because it's, it's not. Buddhism would point to that, I think. Buddhism points to that, and language are pointers, but it's so very close to us that we, we miss it because we are we're drawn to the pleasure and pain of life. Um, we are taken by the pleasure and pain of life and the future possibilities of pain and, and, and all the rest of it. <clears throat> so a, a continual kind of contemplative attitude to this, to our experience of being human uh, and, and bringing that Making that important to me is, 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 is a good thing to do. What is it that didn't change? 
So then there's still the grumbling about the fever and the why me, you know, that kind of stuff might come up, but it's it's not so powerful anymore because it's not it's not any kind of ultimate truth. It's not me battling the sickness anymore. It's more sickness is natural. Sickness arises in consciousness because of causal conditions. And then next time I got this cold by being in three air-conditioned situations, which I couldn't get out of. So I'm going to wear a fur coat next time I go to Thailand <laughs> in the hot season. <laughs> it's like 30, 32 outside. There's like 10 inside. I don't know what they're doing. They're, you know, they're living in a hot climate. There's Anyway, that's me groaning, <laughs> me whining. <laughs> and you can notice that, can't you? Why did they do that? And why did they just... And, and that's still, that's just a condition that arises. And the more one, one doesn't make that a problem. You know, like I was, I was contemplating what we usually, like on a new year, we, we, we might usually say, I, you know, I forgive all transgressions against me and may all uh, transgressions that I have done be forgiven and so on. So we, we do that, and, uh, which is okay, which is okay. So there's a, you get this attitude that I, that I should forgive, I should forgive, which is, which is a healthy thing to do, it's not wrong. But the very, the very feeling of not being able to forgive is simply a feeling. It's not a problem. It becomes a problem when I, when I battle it and believe in it, and when I don't allow it to be fully in consciousness. So even if I, if something happened to me this year, and I got blindsided by some nasty piece of human endeavor, and uh, I'm sitting here, right? And the Ajahn says, now I want you to go deep in your heart and forgive everyone. And then that comes out, bloody hell, I'm not forgiving this guy. No way. Uh, and then I see that come up in my mind, and then there's the battle. Oh, I should forgive. Bhante said I should forgive. It would be much better if I forgave. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not going to forgive. No. And, and that's all attachment. It's all self. It's like me doing battle with my emotions. But the feeling of not being able to forgive belongs, as Ajahn Sumedha would say. It belongs. It's not wrong to not want to forgive. Where it becomes disastrous is if you believe it as a permanent condition. You don't see it as an object. You don't see that it arises in consciousness and ceases in consciousness. And that's where the battle ensues. The battle of idealism, the battle of I should and shouldn't be, and, and such like. And it goes on and on. But to have the courage and, and compassion, metta, to allow feelings of, of murderous feelings or whatever to come into consciousness, you welcome it. This belongs. Uh, but not act on it. And so our, our convention in, in Buddhism is to live by the five precepts. Um, and these are the areas of, of restraint where we don't harm ourselves or others, to live uh, fully with our responsibilities, so to be on time for work, to be timely in our mortgage payments, and all these worldly things. And that defines 
partially the way we live in this world of things and, and, and situations. But on the emotional level, on the level of personality and conditions that we experience in human beings, it's all possible. Anything that comes up into consciousness is kosher. Right? If it came up into consciousness, it's natural, even if it's really horrific and horrible. To act on it would be a delusion which would be very self-destructive and destructive to others. So this kind of openness of awareness is really, what I think, what we mean by metta. Metta bhavana, the way we, we usually perceive it or conceive it or practice it, is it's, it's sort of a doing, you know, like, like I, I go through this list of beings who I sort of pray about or wish that they are well. And that's, that, that can be useful as a kind of um, introduction to a heart which is open. But I think, I think more profoundly, metta is, is the very, very sense of non-duality, that, that whatever arises ceases, and it and is valid, it's lawful, it's, it's okay for it to have the most horrible feelings to the most uh, wonderful feelings. It, it, it's all part of, of dharma. And the dharma is the truth of the way things are. So if I have a, for example, if I, if I feel very, very jealous about someone's whatever uh, accomplishments and I haven't accomplished the same, and I feel this horrible jealousy, just the very word horrible, you think about that, it's so horrible, very dumb, how can you think like that? Doesn't admit this feeling of jealousy into consciousness. And because it doesn't admit it, doesn't allow it to be, then it kind of festers in the background. It, it, it never liberates, never, never becomes fully conscious. And that's not metta. That's judgment. That's idealism. That's it should and shouldn't be. Whereas metta is, is, comes from the perspective of, of non-grasping and transcendence. That this condition, say in this example, let's say jealousy, has arisen. So it's, it's dharma. It's natural. No need to battle it. The need is to be very open and welcome it. And that's counterintuitive. Very counterintuitive to allow something like a very negative, uh, alienating emotion into your consciousness. Seems like I should do something about this. I should really rectify it and do lots of metta practice towards this person who I'm feeling jealous of. Now that, that, that can be useful if, you, if one is just um, caught up in the thinking of jealousy, certainly. But quite often it's not that way. Quite often it's just a, just a condition that arises and, and an openness to it, a welcoming of it. Uh, this belongs, it all belongs. Uh, always puts you to the perspective of largeness, that, that awareness of change, uh, the open heart, is bigger than any condition. And so it's always liberating. It's always liberating. The experience of something like, say, jealousy might be quite uncomfortable. Sure, it's not pleasant, but that's like having the, the flu. It's not pleasant. So if if our if our kind of happiness or well-being is predicated on, on pleasure, we don't know what to do with it. But if we take a different stance and say, what is it through? the displeasure of jealousy, the discomfort of jealousy, and the beauty of, of, of love, say. 
what is it that didn't change in there? What is it that doesn't change? And that's full conscious awareness or full conscious presence. So this is this is a this is a, a not a theory, but it it is a doing. And the more one can refer to that, the more one will remember that. Just in the way of things. We, you know, New Year, I was thinking, what do we do in New Year's? We wish everyone well. We have cultural ways to <laughs> wish each other well. Well, I wish you as well. I hope you don't get the flu. <laughs> you know, I really do. And I do hope that your, you know, your stocks just keep going up, up and up. <laughs> Gosh, I hope you don't get old. Heaven forbid, right? <laughs> so those are nice, you know, those are nice things to wish. Prosperity and, and good health and good companionship. And I certainly wish you that. But what would be deeper would be, I wish you the, the, the enlightenment of remembering the awake mind. The constant enlightenment of the awake mind. I wish you, I wish you good remembrance, I suppose. Yeah, good I wish you awakening, constant awakening, remember awakening. And that's not dependent on your stock portfolio. The comfort in your old age is, is your stock portfolio, and I wish you that well too, because you need money and not everyone can live as a monk. But whatever comes in a year, be it uh, good times or bad times, uh, difficulties, uh, I don't think any of us are so naive to think that somehow it's going to be smooth sailing this year either globally or, or individually. Um, we will all feel, you know, we'll all have disappointments and uh, successes and failures. And then we'll feel strong and healthy and we'll feel knocked down by a bug and people will be kind and generous and, and sensitive to us and they'll say something brutal as well. And that's just the nature of, of living in samsara, living in a, in a dualistic world. So what can we do? Well, we can, as much as possible, uh, not inflict harm on other people. That's, that's a beautiful way to live our life. So even though I might feel uh, jealous about something, I don't have to inflict that on anyone. I can still welcome it and let it go through consciousness, see it come and go, uh, but I don't have to speak through it. I don't have to attach to it and hurt anyone. So the what protects us in, 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 our, in our spiritual life is this intention to do as much benefit as possible and least harm possible around speech, around uh, issues of environment, around whatever, whatever ways we have influence in the world. That's a beautiful intention. So when I, in, you know, when I say, may you be free from suffering, may you uh, have prosperity, Actually, I'm I'm doing everything I can for you in that way, because I'm not I'm not following impulses that are harmful to you, you, and they're not harmful to me. Then, and this is a beautiful intention to set up. Um, and then, whatever way each of us faces this, you know, whatever whatever conditions come up, well, then I'm available to help you. Then my heart is available because I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not. You know, my my intention is is to do as much good as possible, at least harm as possible. So if I feel like hurting you, I welcome that, but I don't do it. And that's a tricky one, isn't it? You know, 
say with speech, you know, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them, I've just got to tell them all. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you have to say something, you back off. And, Is this really necessary? Where am I coming from? Cool it down. What would be wholesome? What would be beneficial? So the my intention then is a kind of protection because then at the end of the year you can say, well, yeah, I really didn't harm anyone. I don't intentionally, you know, certainly there were mistakes and things happened which would have been nice if they happened differently, but my intention, was my intention ever to harm? No. And that gives one a, a sense of self-assurance, a sense of confidence, even if people say, well, you did it all wrong. Well, maybe, but my intention. And that intentionality is very much what come was based on, right intention. So on the worldly level, we have the intention to do as, as much good and as least harm as possible. And on the, uh, on the transcendent, we always bring up the intention to awaken to the way things are. So we have these two ways that Buddhism approaches the human condition. I don't know if you think about what we used to do as youngsters for New Year's, our intentions were kind of maximum, <laughs> I don't know about you, but it was kind of maximum excitement and heedlessness. You know, how much, how crazy can I be this new year? At least that was my mindset as a youngster, as a teenager, whatever. And so then as we mature, and we, be, we begin to see, well, excitement and, and all of that, even interest, it's kind of limited. You know, interest in something is good, it makes you do it, but even boredom is okay. Right? Even like um, nothing happening is okay because the refuge is in, is in awareness. And then things like boredom, or they, they actually are quite peaceful. It's no longer boredom, it's just more like silence. But a mind which is um, always seeking experience, a, a certain type of experience and always seeking excitement and seeking uh, is uh, very externalized and, and some of that yeah that's necessary we need to investigate things and so on but but not as a not as a refuge so the refuge of the awakened mind knows change and that's the kind of constant phrase that, and we can do this this we can do whether I'll be successful this year, we have you know we have a kitchen project coming up, and and how can I how can I best contribute to that kitchen project? And how can I best contribute to my uh, fellow community members during the winter retreat? How can I how can I what's the best way I can do that? Well, it seems to me, if I can awaken to what's going on in my mind, and not make it a problem then I'm always available to them. Whereas if I, if I am unconsumed by thinking, then I'm not available, I'm reactive in some way. So much of the problem, much of the problem is just wrong thinking, and we all know that. Just like trying to figure stuff out, or just always going to thought, always going to thought. And so what quite often we lack is that we lack trust and silence. We lack trust in that, that awake quality of mind for that to work things out. We quickly jump in there with our, our thinking and analysis 
on an engineering level that's necessary if you're designing uh, chips for microprocessors or whatever that's called but and uh, if you're doing a uh, cookbook that that's all that's all where, where we can use thought but the spiritual life thought is very limited thought cannot figure out silence thought is what what perpetuates doubt self-doubt is perpetuated through thought and to be able to put down thought to see the end of a thought to let go of the obsessive thinking and just to open the mind to this kind of welcoming listening uh, is, is a great is a great uh, liberation really so be, be careful of your your thinking mind it's very clever but often it's lying uh, it's like some, something like I was talking about self-doubt in the mornings. Self-doubt is can be quite insidious. It can be quite the feeling of self-doubt can be very real, because uh, thinking creates a kind of reality, and so then we try to solve our self-doubts through thought. And the, the trouble with that kind of thinking is that it usually usually leads to just another doubt and another doubt, and another thought, and another doubt, and you, we get caught in these kind of perpetual cycles of thought. Whereas the awake mind isn't a thought, is it? And it's not like an answer to a question. So well, what kind of practice should I do for the winter retreats? What should I do? And you notice that doubt, what should I be doing? What kind of aditana should I make? Where should I go? And just notice that. There's nowhere to go. You don't have to go anywhere. You just have this moment the way it feels. So the doubt arises, and then you, you just see it as a condition, and metta allows it to be there, but the, there's no investment in that, and it ceases again. And you realize, actually, there's really nowhere to go. Nothing to accomplish, because awareness is not an accomplishment, is it? Would you say that? Would you say awareness is an accomplishment? Like doing 20 push-ups? It's different, isn't it? I cannot do 20 push-ups. I can't even do one push-up now. But I can be aware that I can't do one push-up. This would be great solace. <laughs> so the, 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 the beauty of the spiritual path is both social and what do we call awareness? Spiritual? Spiritual is a funny word. Whatever word we have. But there is that in the human possibility which is, which is deeply peaceful and deeply compassionate if we just trust it. So, Happy New Year. <coughs> Sadhu 